Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Scrubbed In Podcast. I hope you've all been keeping well. This week we have another amazing guest with us who happened to meet on the NHS Entrepreneur Programme actually. We have with us today John, who's the co-founder of the award-winning skill exchange and time bank called Hexitime. And he's also the head of quality improvement for the UK NHS in London. He's delivered many change programs across the country at a national, regional and provider level in the NHS and wider public sector. A massive, massive pleasure to have you on the show today, John. How are you? Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. It's a real pleasure to be here. So I was telling Abs after our meeting, because, you know, with the NHS Entrepreneur Programme, you go into these little breakout rooms and people share their ideas. And the concept of Hexitime was something we were playing around with like a few years ago just couldn't deliver it. And when you mentioned, I was like, oh my days, he, he's done what we wanted to do. <laughs> and it's amazing and it's incredible. It's exactly what we need yeah. um, at a society level. Um, so we do want to spend some time talking about that. But before we do, bring us all the way back to the beginning of your career, John, and kind of bring us up to speed to present day. So uh, my time is is very closely linked with my career and experiences I've had through my career as to why it came about and where where I could see problems and opportunities. So my, my career is a is a sort of a 50-50 split I, between the NHS and then before that I was an army officer. Um, and so I was in the army for, for eight years and then left in 2012. And people often you know, sort of ask me if it if it's much different. And actually, in, in, in many ways, the NHS is remarkably similar to the army in that, you know, it's, it's um, I guess at the heart, it's sort of life and death activity. Uh, it's, mm. it's completely reliant on the quality of the people that deliver it. And, and it's all ab- about people as a, as a service. And I guess it's also, a, it's also public sector. So you're often being asked mm. to deliver almost impossible work with no resources. This ain't your first rodeo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's definitely not my first rodeo. So in many ways, I, I slotted seamlessly from from the army to the NHS. But what was, what, what I know, there was a couple of things I noticed that were really, really different. So so in the military, it's, it's actually quite a, it feels like a closed economy. So mm. you're not surrounded by private sector companies and consultants and like um, people that are dipping in and out. It's it's a very closed family. And because of that, you can you can develop networks quite well and you can draw on people and resource as and when you need it to get stuff mm-hmm. done. And it's quite flexible and agile in, in, in many ways. And surpri- surprisingly, it's not not particularly command and control orientated, surprisingly, in, in, in the thick of it, it's actually incredibly flexible and devolved mm. so that people mm. closest to problems are, are empowered to fix them by, yeah. by and large. And I was really surprised when I came across the NHS, I sort of expected a national health service. And in fact, it's, it's hundreds and hundreds of businesses that are competing against each other. Mm. Yes, to Absolutely. deliver excellent care, but ultimately to deliver care better than their neighbor in order to win contracts over their neighbor mm, yeah. and um, people are siloed in these organizations in these departments in these professions and they don't have obvious mechanisms for trading favors and collaborating and connecting and uh, and ultimately if you need to get stuff done in the NHS it could be really really tricky if you don't have budget and seniority and command control power because because ultimately it's it's quite a command control uh, institution the nhs um and I, I and i there was something really unsettling about moving into the nhs where i was very used to a sort of a network of people for getting stuff done and i came across in a, what i guess you'd describe as a middle management uh level yeah and suddenly i had no connections to get anything done just I knew nobody had no connections, but I, I was still full of ideas, right, and 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 things that I could see, see that I wanted to get done, and 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 the irony I thought was quite was was even bigger because whereas the military is 
It's like a hundred thousand at the time. It was about a hundred thousand people in the army. The NHS is is over ten times that size. You know, one point three, one point four million people. Another one point six million people working in social care. And I thought, I was just surprised. I just thought, wow, like you've got so much resource here. You've got so many people, so much talent, so many skills. But yet, when we want to do stuff, it seems our only course of action is to either ask your boss or write a really convoluted business case. Mm. And I thought, we, we've got to be better yeah. than that. And, and, yeah. and so that was that was some of my early early experience coming across the NHS and really just getting bogged down in the frustration of how change happens, reflecting on my military experience and thinking, we, we've got to do something about this. We, we have the resources and there's a way forward. And, and maybe that's some of the experiences you guys were experiencing as well as to why... You might have had had similar ideas to what we yeah. what we did at the time. I think what's interesting is you didn't just see 1.6 million employees. You you describe it as you saw 1.6 million different skill sets, assets, network just from the get go. The way you came mm-hmm. in and saw that, and then quickly identified that we are in silos and there is difficulty in cross transfer of this networking and skills. Yeah, and this is there's there's a really um, important and obvious problem with the way we look at workers in healthcare and that's essentially mm-hmm. it's, it's the old HR model so you you have a job title and a job description and as mm-hmm. far as the system is concerned that is who you are so mm-hmm. if you were to look at me during the during the pandemic right on my job description I'm, I'm like a quality improvement manager so you'd look at me and think, oh, you know, get get him involved in like process management and um, improving quality with teams. But what my NHS job description doesn't say is, you know, has has literally built field hospitals in crisis situations in an engineering mm-hmm. capacity in third world countries. Now that skill set is highly yeah. relevant and rapidly. Um, employable in a in a, in a pandemic <laughs> yeah, it's situation. A whole different... yeah, yeah, you know, like that, we, that should be. Yeah, you know, like we were building, we were literally building field hospitals in a crisis situation through the pandemic. If you looked at my NHS JD, you'd be none the wiser. That's a really good example where everybody is greater than the pigeonhole they're put into through their yeah, job description. Yeah. And of course, clinicians have this just as bad as anyone else. You know, you're either a you know, you're a, you're a junior doctor or you're a nurse, but there's nothing about that that says you're an innovator with bright ideas or, you know, and exactly. I mean all sorts of um, all sorts of weird and wonderful people that just have skill sets you just don't expect. I was talking to a doctor the other day, you know, his employer call, calls him a doctor. Now behind the scenes, he's um, innovating with 3D printing and he's, he's like printing gizmos Crazy. on a 3D printer for, for <laughs> startups. His employer doesn't care or recognise that skill, yeah. but clearly there's application for that across the NHS. And mm-hmm. what we what we don't have really is a mechanism to recognise that or to broker that demand with that supply. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. where some of the the frustration and opportunity came with to create that brokering mechanism. Definitely. Mm-hmm. T- tell us a little bit about that. So tell us now about Hexitime, what it is, um, what it's currently being used for. And how, how what's the what's the engagement been like? Yeah, so I, I I've matured a, a lot over the last few years. I think if you, <laughs> if you uh, about four four or five years ago, I I really was just moaning about this. I was um, I was going <laughs> to conferences and just just complaining, but I was also, I guess, um, uh, you know, anxious because it seemed like such an obvious problem to me. Yeah. coming across from the military and I just assumed it had been fixed and someone had solved it and I just assumed I was too new to the NHS and you know it, I didn't want to I didn't want to sort of take too much action because I was thinking I'm just going to stumble on this it, it's it's yeah. going to be there and someone's been doing this for years yeah and anyway I was I was complaining about this and um there was another chap a guy called Dr Hisham Abdallah who's a pediatrician based in the Midlands and um I wouldn't say he was moaning about this, but he was at the same time looking at the opportunities. He's quite a positive bloke. 
I, I'm the negative to his positive. Yeah. <laughs> so balanced, yeah. well balanced. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're very well balanced in that sense. And so he was looking at opportunities, and um, what he what he saw was in in little community settings, uh, people were trading favors. So like on a on a street, yeah. you might have neighbors trading favors, like you babysit my kids and I'll mow your lawn. And he he, he had a bit of a brainwave and was looking at it saying, well. Could we apply that just at massive scale across the health system where people trade their skills? You know, like I'll 3D print your 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 latest idea if you come and do some data analytics for me or, yeah, you know, record yeah. a podcast to showcase my work or something like that, you know. Yeah. Um, and he was sort of asking that question. And I was there looking at that brokering mechanism saying we need to broker skill demand with skill supply. Yeah. And uh, anyway, it was the Health Foundation. The Health Foundation saw us having very similar conversations at different parts of the country and encouraged us to meet and discuss it and to maybe do something about it. And so we, we met in 2017 and uh, instantly clicked, I, I, I believe. We're very different people, but, but found that, that, that balance. Uh, created a prototype for what we were talking about. And we took that prototype to the Health Foundation's Q Exchange community. And they ran the very first Q Exchange competition in 2018. We took the prototype to it, and uh, we came out as the highest voted innovation nationally it, with that prototype. We were, we were a little bit surprised because the prototype was crap. It was. <laughs> it was. You're not allowed to say that. <laughs> it was just a. It was just a prototype. It, it, yeah. it, was, it cost us a few hundred quid, but it, mm. it demonstrated what could be done, and it also mm. demonstrated that people liked it. And wanted to be involved. We we engaged with about four hundred people at the time. Anyway, one one thirty thousand pounds of prize money off the back of that, and used that to build yeah. version one of what you see today as as Hexy Time. Yeah. And uh, and that's really where, as I say, we just matured rapidly over the last few years because we went from uh, you know day to day public sector workers, me doing my management, him doing his clinical practice, and suddenly we were attracting money and delivering opportunity and potential. So it's at that point, uh, it didn't take a genius to realise that £30,000 of grant money was going to run out pretty quick. And we didn't want to sort of create a load of noise, an opportunity, and then just fizzle out when the cash dried up. So we took some immediate actions, which is um, we didn't take any money ourselves. We, we, We put all of the money into tech development and yeah. just did everything in our evenings and our weekends to 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 get the pennies stretching further and then um, and then ultimately we we had to create a business model around it and this is where the entrepreneurial uh, entrepreneurial mm. spirit came in and we we created a a social enterprise uh, keen to keep it as a not for profit free at the point yeah. of use for everybody in the health system but also with a business model that kept it sustainable and growing mm. and and getting slicker and better Amazing. If so, describe the concept of Hexitam. I alluded to it at the beginning of the podcast. What does it actually entail? How does it actually work on a kind of logistic basis? If I were to kind yeah. of sign up today. So, what's exciting about Hexitam is it's offering a completely new workforce economy. So, it's a time bank. And what a time bank is, is a, a mechanism where you exchange your time as a currency. And on HexiTime, you do so on the basis that one hour of your time equals a credit. And so there's different ways to look at it. I suppose one way of describing it is that we've we've formalized the black market economy of people trading favors. But whereas people normally trade favors, you trade favors with people you know. And that little black book of contacts gets Mm. bigger and better as you get more senior. So your your little contacts book gets bigger as you get paid more, as you get promoted, as you get more experienced, as you get older. And what we what we know from that is that as you get older, more um, promoted, more senior, uh, it it creates a real power imbalance. So the people with the black book of contacts are are the consultants, the directors. Yeah. It's not the F1 and it's not the junior nurse that's just come out of university. But their ideas are no no better or worse than anyone else's. So what's really powerful about a time bank is it's saying that the F1 and the junior nurse 
or the random guy that's just joined the NHS from the army is it, their time is worth the same as top directors that have been around for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And, and that changes the power balance because as you earn time credits, you, you have capacity to do stuff. So let's take that junior doctor who's got this random 3D print venture. He could be a, he could be an F1 for argument's sake, and he could be earning credits by helping people by printing 3D prototypes. Now, as he's earning credits, he's earning capacity. So next time he has a good idea, like he wants to develop some service improvement, if he wants to bring in diagnostics, analytical support, coaches, um, finance support, he's got credits and he can start doing that. Yeah. And he doesn't have to then start creating business cases to bring in money, to bring in resource. Yeah. And so you can deliver through time and skills with other people without having to win prizes and, and money and all the rest of it. Now, there's another really important aspect to time banking. And it, it it's um, the more we get into it, it's quite exciting. It's around equality. So mm. if, if my hour is the same as your hour, it's literally the same. Mm. Um, I can't I can't provide any leverage there. I can't say, oh, but don't you know who I am? <laughs> You know, don't you know who I am? I do all this other stuff. I, my 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 hour must be worth twice as much as yours. We can't yeah. do that, right? It's literally the same. Mm. And so, um, we're we're finding that time banking through improvement is attracting lots of networks and organisations that that are striving to protect protected character uh, to support protected characteristics. Mm. Because if I go back to that point about that black book of contacts getting bigger and better as you get more senior. We know when we look at the NHS that more senior people in decision-making roles are basically white men, predominantly. Mm, mm, yeah. And so, and so by by devolving that power down and changing the command control dynamics, we're empowering everybody on an equal footing. Um, mm. And this this opens up a whole can of worms because it you know what if you are that white guy in a position of privilege and power, to engage in a time bank is to devolve your is to dilute yeah. your power. Yeah. Have you experienced that? Yeah. Has anyone come to you and said, hey, John, you know, I'm the CEO, I'm a top director. There's no way my hours the equivalent of this freshly, newly graduated F1, you know, who still looks like he's in work experience. Yeah, yeah. I, to be honest, it's not it's not the people who have made it at the top that often say that. Uh, very few people will say it explicitly. It's not the people at the top because the people at the top are usually quite comfortable in their own skin. Um, it's usually those striving middle managers that are trying to get mm. to that director role who yeah. you know like like at, at that stage in their career they're 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 networking hard right and they're yeah. taking up yeah. and if they've got unfair career advantage then you know at that stage in their career i can imagine it must be this similar if you're sort of a registrar level mm. you know you, you you do what it takes right to get to to get to where you need to in your in, in your career in that sense so I, I no one will say it explicitly, but you get that kind of vibe yeah, from, yeah. from frosting middle managers that haven't yet got to that comfortable plateau yet. The, the what people do say explicitly around this that they're uncomfortable with is that um, it's it's usually operational managers, and they'll, they they say something along the lines of, "What happens if my employees that I pay start seeing really exciting collaboration opportunities in departments?" And other hospitals that I don't uh, that, that, that I don't get any benefit from. I'm effectively paying for other people's benefits. It's really interesting that that dynamic because it's it's difficult it's difficult not to be quite blunt. Because what I want to say to that is, look, if you're scared that people are going to hemorrhage your department and go yeah. to go to collaborate in other areas, maybe you need to consider. You yeah, know something. the work that your department does, yeah. right? Like, like, like that's a more fundamental issue than time banking. That's just your department yeah. is doing dull work. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so that that often comes up, and the, and there's there's a sort of a maturity here where we need to recognise. I think that we're part of a we're part of a bigger thing. Like we're, yeah. we're in an NHS actually, and yeah. and we're finding that reciprocating skills is really important. So, and, and my co-founder Hisham talks a lot about this. He he did a TED talk of, uh, last year where he basically said he was, as a consultant, he was reaching burnout. He probably was at burnout. And ironically, he realized that 
by giving his time more, he got more back, which mm. just sounds so counterintuitive. Yeah. In the same way that if you went to an operational department manager and said, you know what you need in this try and press in times where you're under resourced, what you need to do is help your people to help others. You know, it sounds really counterintuitive, but we're finding that time banking relationships are fundamentally win-win relationships. Mm. It's not it's not a transaction, right? It's not just I do a shift for you. There's there's benefit in both parties, usually professional development, uh, yeah, wider like social the- benefit and so on. So when people scratch themselves and get into it, they they start to start to enjoy it. Oh, I'll tell you a couple of things very quickly about time banking as well. It's just technically important. Um, one thing is you can move currency between multiple entities. So you can be a, an individual or a department. You can be a GP practice, an A&E department, or a hospital, yeah. or even a network. So currency can move between those entities. So if you have people that are lucky enough to just give, 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 and earn credits, they can then donate them to their department. Wow. So if you let's say you had an A&E department and some people have got capacity to give and some people can only take, you could get the givers to donate to the department and the takers to just withdraw from that department. So we can start to move time capacity around a system to help those that really need it. Mm. You can also go into deficit. So it's not quite like a currency, like a sterling monetary mm. currency. So we let people go to about minus 30 hours so you can take about a week of time capacity from people before we drop your line and ask you to maybe like think about what you can give back and you you don't have a literal debt so you you'll never you never have to pay back you could just take 30 hours deliver that amazing idea project that you had and then walk away and never give back and the reason it's sustainable is we find that people on the platform are giving about 7 hours for every hour that's being taken. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So it's a really mm. sustainable model. And, and what, yeah. we're, what we're tapping into is this spirit from people who understand the benefit of giving and yeah. sort of like as paying it forward, as it were. Yeah. T- talking a little bit about that, the spirit of now giving time uh, for, for time in essence, it goes against the sort of traditional model of, you know, you sort of either pay for time, you hire, you pay out or something like that. Mm. How have you actually um, harnessed that spirit? How have you sort of brought it about and sort of brought about acceptance of it? And then my second question is, are you allowed to give us a little bit of insight into what are the most popular sort of um, exchanges that are occurring? Yeah, so the, 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 two, the answers to those two questions are linked. So um, we realised very quickly that if me and Hisham just started running around telling everyone that time banking is awesome, and they should get involved, we were going to have incredibly slow growth because you're just convincing mates of mates to join. Yeah. So we realized if we were going to actually get this sort of second workforce economy more mainstreamed into the NHS, we needed organizations and networks to start Mm. believing in it and then endorsing and growing it on our behalf to become like a network of networks. So we started working with... uh, our very very first two organisations was Walsall Together, which is like an integrated care system in the West Midlands, group of five organisations, and an academic health science network called Kent, Surrey and Sussex, HSN. And, you know, as you expect with lots of startups, it involves some pretty heavy, intensive pitching and yeah. follow-ups and persuading. But as people started to lift the bonnet of Hexitime and realise the real power of this, they realised what could be done at a sort of a system level, be that Kent, Surrey and Sussex or, or an ICS for collaborating and skill sharing. And what we really did was tap into their remit around mm-hmm. collaborating and uh, system level working. Mm-hmm. So we then we, we then sort of like, I guess, sort of devolve the, the enthusiasm for growing it to those networks. And we've, we've since repeated that model um, numerous times a- across the country with, with different agencies and people, people taking it forward on our, on, on our behalf. And, um, and, and, and as we do that, we generate case studies, right? So people start to realise what this actually means in, in practice and why they should get involved. 
And as the case studies start to grow and grow, people people start to realize that this this isn't like a, a startup trying to sell you something. This is actually becoming more of a, a movement. You know, it's a, it's a, I wouldn't say revolution, but it's a, you know, it's a, it's, it's a movement and people start to realize that they want to be part of that, that yeah. greater good and get involved. And then they start to see their colleagues doing so and uh, people in their, people in their profession and they start to hear why they're doing that. And essentially we've become a big community of purpose, which is, um, which is to sort of, I guess, more radically turn our, turn our back on pretty limited, clunky, bureaucratic ways of working. I was going to ask, and I know there's a lot of entrepreneurs and people with their own startups and their own initiatives and ideas. How do you balance having your full-time role um, in quality improvement while running this startup, which is growing and it's growing on a, on a daily basis? How do you make it work? Yeah, so... Because, you know, it's, it's, that was a question we covered, you know, a few moments ago. Yeah, I mean... It's a bit of a cliche to say you've got to really, really be passionate about what you're doing, because in the early stages, there's very little room for manoeuvre. It's just simple resources, right? And you're having to pay a mortgage, pay rent and deliver a Mm. job. So in the early stages, this is just intensive, like it's lots and lots of hours at the weekend and in the spare Mm. time, bank holidays and annual leave spent making this happen and yeah. but it, and, it, and it's mainly time money's a we put a bit of our own cash in but it's mainly time actually and yeah. and 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 the other thing i sometimes jokingly say to this but it's deadly true is i don't have children and actually i think mm. if i had kids this would be hard hard work <laughs> um, to like balance that work lifestyle that time bank doesn't work with the kids. They're the most convoluted inverse. They're the black holes of time. Yeah. So then, then um, the the other thing that was really important is to surround yourself with uh, people that share those those values. So Hexy Time in the early days actually had a couple more people, uh, like at the at the planning table, and we just realised very quickly that me and Hisham were the ones with who were prepared to revolve our lives around it and mm-hmm. take it forward as like as a, as a duo as co-founders so mm-hmm. and, and i think when you have surround, surround yourself with people you can you can share out the work a bit right i think sometimes people are concerned about losing losing equity and, and power mm-hmm. and all that in the in their innovation but it's 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 almost impossible i think to deliver the something of this scale with this impact yeah. by yourself and you know you two are probably a, another good yeah. example of that yeah. so so over time like so, like, Hisham is a full-time clinician, right? He, he has weeks mm. where he's just doing night shifts all week. And <laughs> and um, in many ways, it's quite funny because we're talking to our, part, uh, like, business partners. And I'll be answering emails in the day and he'll be answering emails at night. And people are like, this, this hexy time social enterprise, they're like 24-7. <laughs> it's, it's just Hisham on his night shift sending an email at 2 in the morning uh, in, in between cases. So, um Surrounded yourself by the right people. And, and, and over time, we've really matured this model. So that was mm-hmm. making do. We're now like two years in properly into this. And we now have something called Hexy Time Ambassadors. And mm-hmm. we've got three of them on the cards at the moment. And these are people that just fundamentally get it, believe in it, and understand the opportunity. And mm-hmm. they they we time bank them, right? So they get time currency for all the hours they support us with. And they just do lots of like ambassadorial work, sharing the good word and bringing in networks yeah. and contacts mm. with this. Um, the 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 other thing uh, the other thing around this is like that we have to recognise where where it's cost effective to buy time. So time banking yeah. is not the answer, like everything, despite what I might have you believe. Yeah. So, so we did some clever things in the early days, like we we buy admin support on an hourly rate mm-hmm. so for example there's a really good company that we use called time etc and we buy admin by the hour with remote admin support and the quality of their administrators is just phenomenal and we've been using the same lady a lady called sam uh, mm-hmm. for, for three years now right from oh, wow. development to delivery we've had a, and over time we've just increased the hours as we've as we've developed revenue and she she effectively acts like a sort of a social media guru 
as as well as coordinating admin activity and that that that's that's time that would really bog me and Hisham down if we were doing that yeah. Um, yeah. In, in between our day jobs and it allows us to be more strategic and keep stuff keep stuff going um in 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 the meantime um so there's passion there's no kids there's buying resource when you absolutely must buy resource mm. and there's sharing sharing the leadership and the workload out with with other people are all all really important for just like making making this happen yeah we're, we're now at a point really where we we're, we're overextending so we're going to have to start employing proper teams to deliver this yeah. now so we're we're at that really interesting phase of a startup where we've sort of proven stuff got a, got a following starting to deliver mm. repeat contracts and we now probably mm. need to up our game by a few hundred grand and recruit yeah. full-time staff and to kind of and, yeah, and, run it. and, and do that what what would you say were some of the major challenges and were there any low moments where you thought oh this might not work because i think to everyone startups always look like a linear curve going up and success at overnight yeah um, so yeah 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 ch- ch- challenges challenges all the way um so i guess I, I guess our first challenge always is people haven't got a clue what time banking is so yeah, if I, yeah. like if, if i if i if i was innovating and i told you about this new car you know what a car is, right? You can you can visualize it, and you go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's invented this faster, better, yeah. more eco-friendly car, and it's a it's a relatively easy pitch. The problem when we go to places and say, look, your HR systems are pretty limited. How about time banking? When you say time bank, most people think of a staff bank, so they think of like a, a locum bank agency, mm-hmm. and they're you know they're ten a penny. They're they're all over the place, right? And so we're like, no, 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 a time bank. And of course, you're having to first of all explain to somebody what it what it is before you can explain why they might even be interested. And and that that step is so significant, and it really does slow down what we're doing in in the early days. And, and, and I'd say that's our biggest challenge. Um, uh, what we're trying to do more so now is go more national and get threaded into policy conversations. Because if this becomes the like vocabulary of workforce policy, then it will start to do some interesting, yeah. really interesting stuff at scale. Um, our second challenge is is we're a tech based social enterprise, so it's it's around tech. Um, mm. One thing that um, I don't mind sharing that really keeps me up at night is if HexiTime properly exploded overnight, and it mm. could because it's free at the point of use and the only barrier to entry is an email address. So like anybody can join at any time, anybody mm. can. So, so one thing that keeps me up at night is like if half a million people join <laughs> off the back of your podcast, let's, oh, let's say God. your, your amazing podcast and like half a million people joined up, um, Hexatum would crash. Like it would implode. Mm. And so we from a technical point of view, we need to develop server capacity that yeah. operates at a speed that 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 works as it grows, and you know that's that that happens in incre- incremental steps. So we need to be careful from a quality perspective, not to overextend, so that when you go to Hexi Time, it's a good experience, and yeah. you want to go yeah. back and you get benefit. Because what you don't want to do when you get to Hexi Time is experience a digital platform that you're familiar with in the hospital. You know, you don't want an EPR yeah. that takes. Five that would be the worst coronation. <laughs> yeah. Just imagine associating yeah. Hectotam with just another NHS yeah, yeah. software program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's one of the reasons why we went as a social enterprise because we actually didn't want the baggage of an NHSR digital platform. We wanted yeah. to demonstrate that this could that we wanted to demonstrate that platforms in the NHS can work, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Digital platforms when you when you take profit and mm. greed out of the equation, digital platforms delivered by social enterprises focused on quality and the people they serve can work yeah they, there's no think, excuse for yeah, it they can work absolutely yeah. Yeah. and i think if it i know it's a social enterprise and it just is befitting of the nature of what you're trying to do yeah rather than kind of for profit and then people thinking you know where's the corners being cut how, how does it work um yeah. john i want to ask you know i'm a bit curious how did you come up with the name hexitime it's quite a catchy quirky name which is yeah in startup yeah. land right yeah we we um we yeah we 
we, we were aware at the very beginning when we were going independent as a social enterprise that the brand and the name, it, it, it couldn't explain what it was because it would just be so clunky. It, and it mm. needed that, that one word that would just ultimately, the plan is to make it become like a verb. Mm. Yeah. So people want to go and hexy time a problem or hexy mm. time an innovation. Mm. So originally, originally it was called the Healthcare Skill Exchange. Oh. <laughs> Who came up with that? Yeah, that was me. <laughs> John, me. And, and, and of course, like if that's going to become a verb, people aren't going to go, oh yeah, I'm going to go down to the old Healthcare Skill Exchange. It's, it's not going to happen. But, On Windows 74. <laughs> but the more, the more pressing problem was when we were looking at a web domain name, we typed yeah. in healthcare... Um, healthcare skill exchange. Um, uh, well, we typed in healthcare skills exchange because it was, you know, multiple mm. healthcare skills exchange into a into a web domain. Now, the problem with healthcare skills exchange when you take the spaces out as a web domain is it comes out as the healthcare skills exchange. And, <laughs> and it just told us, we were like, we were like, oh, like we cannot call it that because as soon as you put it into a web domain. We are going to get all the Google hits that we don't want to be getting. Yeah, so, you would get half a million. You'd, yeah, yeah. you'd crash. Yeah, exactly. yeah. You, you'd be need us, mate. You'd be needing us for your home back. So, so yeah, our, our, our great plan to be the healthcare sex change uh, mm. was dead overnight, and we, it just we had to come up with a name. So anyway, we um, all credit to a lady called Catherine Wolf. Uh, who came up with the name and Catherine Wolf works uh, as a director with a company called Made Open who are mm. our incredibly close tech partners that we deliver hexy time with and they're 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 really good on like design and aesthetics of mm. digital mm-hmm. platforms as well and we essentially commissioned her to fix this <laughs> <laughs> to fix our problem and um yeah when when I look in the past like some of our stuff was uh was really really clunky. I know this is a podcast, so yeah. listeners aren't mm. going to see this, but I'll show you too quickly. Yeah. In the very early <laughs> days, we were like it was like a little school project. We had like a paper yeah. mache piggy bank. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh wow. So it's like a little paper mache piggy piggy bank that um, that that we were sort of using as a as a concept to say like you know invest in the time bank. Yeah. And yeah. and you'll get back what you give. And. Uh, Catherine Wolf and this design agency looked at our little paper mache school project. <laughs> we're like, they're like, no, <laughs> no, we're not doing that. Like, like, what is this? Like amateur hour? No, we're professionals. And uh, they they came up with our branding. And if you if you look closely at the Hexatime logo, you realise that it's um, six heads coming together. Mm. It's six heads coming together as a collaboration. And Hexatime really is a we've condensed healthcare exchange and time. Yeah can see it yeah, yeah and so like when you see it you see it and also yeah. as a few people have pointed out to us hexy time is sexy time and i'm yeah. quite happy with it. <laughs> I'll, go, I'll go along with that <laughs> yeah i i think it's such an like like abdul said we were we had this problem where we're thinking sometimes you can't afford a certain bit of advice a certain bit of tech advice or something like that but the thing is, you've got something you can provide, is which is your skill asset, and you need that skill asset. And the ability to exchange that does exactly what we started the podcast with, which is quality improvement. Mm. So myself and Abdul, we're really keen on medical education and looking at improving that in terms of quality. Um, and again, just Hexy Time solves a lot of our problems because there's certain things that we just can't afford, but I'm sure we could provide value in one field yeah. and they could provide us that. Um, So I can imagine lots of that one F1 who's on the ward or the nurse who's seeing a few problems on the wards and has an innovative idea can now actually look to solve that instead of being pigeonholed, like you said before. Yeah. Um, And uh, one of your earlier questions, you were saying, like, you know, know, frankly, how do do I and people get the time for this? mm, One one trick mm, we mm. found is to just identify those skills that you probably take for granted that you have as an individual. And, um, and and work then. So I've done that in my day job. So I'm I'm now delivering big parts of my NHS quality improvement job through HexiTime because HexiTime can scale quality improvement and do it quicker than I can as a manager. 
So, so it makes sense for me to invest time in hex time to deliver elements of my job. And that's the, that's the real sweet spot is when you can deliver your job with your passion and your innovation. And, um, and you know, on an individual level, we are just talking about doctors now. Um, like people have all sorts of skills that they don't recognize that people care about. So one thing I often cite with junior doctors is you have to, like, you have to do audit, don't you, right? For, yeah. for like your career development, you have to do audit. And when you look at audit for what it is, right, you've got a highly skilled doctor or nurse. Nurses do this as well, don't they? You've got a highly yeah. skilled clinician who is offering their time to collect data to improve a service. Now, if you yeah. go to any team out there in the NHS and say, hey, do you fancy a highly qualified clinician to come and collect data for you? They'd be like, yes, <laughs> yes, I do. But, jackpot. <laughs> yeah, jackpot. But, but, but. The reality, I'm, I'm led to believe, and my, my brother's a doctor as well, so my brother tells me this kind of stuff. But the, rea- the reality mm. is that when doctors need to do junior audits, they just get them done, right? It's a tick box. So, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm generalised. Mm-hmm. Probably not everybody, but lots of people just tick the box because they need to get that audit. So the mm. problem there is they, they waste that opportunity because they're, they're busy, you know, they've got stuff to do. And so mm. they're, they're just getting that audit out of the way. And a common problem is clinical audits and not not linked so the junior doctor will do the audit and then get rotated and not see what happens to that audit yeah yeah and of course at the same time they're kind of expected to lead it mm-hmm. by the nature of their of their profession now hexi times allowing you to just dip into something offer those two hours deliver the audit that you need for your professional development but but equally as importantly that that team like really needs that clinician to do that data collection so it's win-win and then the junior, the doctor can walk away and go to their next rotation, knowing confidently that, that work's being led and properly delivered as part of a bigger piece. And it's not just being done in isolation as an audit, just for an audit's sake. And that there are so many things like that where, where everybody has got an element of their day job, which if you could turn that into a hexi time activity, you would be doing your day job anyway, and you'd also be earning credits, which is then earning new capacity to do even more wonderful stuff. So turning business as usual into hexi time is, is going to be such a key lever when we when we unlock it. Yeah. I think that's very important about what you said, about the fact that it's hexi time credits. You're rewarding that person for doing the audit now. So what we find is that the reason why it's a tick box exercise is because we collect data, we tick that box and we get to move on to step two. There's not much of a reward, but I guess doing it through hexi time allows you to earn those credits and know that you are actually being rewarded more than one way mm. um, so that when you do stumble across another opportunity and you need someone's skill, someone's a bit, bit of advice or something like that, you've yep. got hexi time available to you. So again, I think greater rewards will drive better quality improvement, will drive better outcomes. Yeah. So yeah, yeah and, and you know, a big, a big part of hexi time from the beginning was around uh, a core part of quality improvement, which is, you know, multidisciplinary diverse teams just deliver yeah. better improvement. And you're going to get a multidisciplinary, a better multiple, multidisciplinary and diverse team by having a more open marketplace. If the only people you can ever collaborate with are the people in your, you know, in, in, in your mess or your, or your division or your organization, you know, you're going to get really stunted projects. But if you can collaborate anywhere across the health system, and I really mean anywhere, right? So yeah. you can put time mm-hmm. credits between, you don't have to be an NHS worker. So it could be with an exactly. academic, a social worker, a patient, a, uh, researcher. You know, a yeah. charity, a researcher. You massively open your marketplace there and to do, mm. to do no, slightly think, work. No, it's amazing. I think what the key is, we should be doing this normally, right? In society, kind of exchanging skills. But I think sometimes you just need that one thing. You just need the platform. You just need the hexi time. And... I think what you're doing with it is great. It just opens up your world. Um, and then there's not that fear of, you know, oh, I'm a bit intimidated to ask this, you know, middle manager or this top exec, you know, I need his experience. I need to sit down just to kind of figure things out, um, which is good. It kind of balances it, flattens the hierarchy. Yeah. There's an exchange of skill set. Now, one, one of the, I, th- I think there were a couple of obvious barriers we saw at the beginning because it is a cliche to just think, oh, build an app or build a platform, right? It's the answer to everything. <laughs> and we were really hesitant with that in the beginning. But, and we, and we asked ourselves, like, like, why is the NHS not doing this? And mm. I, guess, I guess one thing is, um, is actually, like, have you seen NHS platforms? I mean, 
Like it, that kind of answers that question. They they don't have that they don't have that institutional skill set to deliver a product. Yeah, that is, they have more pressing matters and concerns. And, like and they have more exchanging skill sets. <laughs> will be let down the list. Where, like I say, it's counterintuitive, but it's probably one of the things you should put a bit more precedence and importance on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like you know, like they say, don't they? Like you know, if you're reaching, if you, if you're overwhelmed with work, your best option is probably to take a break, not to, yeah. not to actually frantically worry about the deadline. It's really counterintuitive, but mm-hmm. but experience tells you that 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 works. Now, the other problem we looked at this was thinking, well, why hasn't the private sector done it? Mm-hmm. And when we started to look at private sector quality improvement stuff. Yeah. There was a there was a real common theme, and it's linked to their pricing model and their business approach. And what they basically mm-hmm. do is they create a really cool platform, loads of utility, but then in order to make profit and and, and a business out of it, mm-hmm. they they create digital silos around it. So they'll sell it to a hospital, uh, and and then only employees from that hospital can use it. Ah, so you can't and, collaborate as well. Yeah, yeah. So, so none of the private sector doesn't do collaboration particularly well because it it undermines the business model. Yeah, because mm. so so and yeah, this yeah, this in turn yeah. created all sorts of problems for Hexi time because we were really clear that this first of all had to be free at the point of use. Like, there's no way we're going to charge individuals for this, but it also yeah. had to be a mass collaboration platform. So it shouldn't matter whether you're a patient, an academic, or in a hospital or a GP practice, you should be able to just join in and collaborate. Yeah. But by doing so, I've knocked down all the boundaries that allow me to make mm. loads of profit. Exactly. Mm. But yeah. as, as a not-for-profit social enterprise, that's kind of cool for us. Like, yeah. and, and, and that's really given us our proper, like, unique niche in the market where we can be so disruptive, so disruptive. Exactly. Like, <laughs> Like I, I we we can talk mm. to systems where a typical private sector organisation will be asking for forty to sixty grand for a contract, mm. and we can go in at a big system level and ask for about five grand. It's yeah. So disruptive! It's so disruptive, and we're we're probably irritating lots and lots of. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. I'm going to say. Gonna that. Be... I was going to say. I don't even want to swear, but a lot of people are pissed at you. A lot of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're sure. messing up. You're messing up those guys that charge. You know, this consultancy where they charge exactly for an hour. I'm I'm sure you know like but, but, cheap uh, and extortionate rates. Well, consultancy is <laughs> another interesting area where we we just saw that because people in the health system weren't connected around their skills their opportunities and their problems the the private consultancy sector was just having a field day with this so literally I'm talking that about, yeah. like, i'm talking Imagine. about like your, your mckinsey's your deloitte's organizations yeah. like that just thriving on inefficiency and disconnect in the system mm. and we ra- rather than focus on that kind of opportunity we, we we focused on the opportunity which is essentially saying the system actually people in the health system have the skills to fix these problems they're all there and we're, yeah. we're, we're paying for most of them through salaries so yeah. it's more a case of connecting them rather than thriving on the chaos and creating more silos yeah so um yeah yeah we're um, I, w- I want to just tie this back right to the beginning of the podcast when you look at your military experience do you imagine the nhs better connected like that so you said in the military it was more level people closest to the problem were solving those issues with hexi time do you envision we could ever reach that stage yeah i think um yeah i to to, to a degree i think one the the biggest shock i I think i found coming out of the military in terms of like improvement projects is was just the sheer degree of private sector organizations yeah landing in the middle of services and i often reflected and think you know if i was I was in a field, right, doing some army stuff. As I was an engineer, right. So if I was building something in a field, and some twenty-two-year-old guy in a suit from Deloitte pitched up and started and started showing me a PowerPoint presentation for how I might deliver this construction more efficiently, and then charge me hundreds of thousands of pounds, I, you know, <laughs> I probably can't go into detail about what what soldiers would have done to that individual. But it wouldn't have been tolerated, right? It just wouldn't be tolerated. Yeah. Um, and what we would have done instead is start to bring in skill sets and mates of people from neighboring units to get something done, right? And we'd have, yeah, yeah. And I was just I was just amazed at how 
easy and quick we were in the NHS to just get the checkbook out with money that we don't have yeah. to bring in skills that we don't need to yeah. then be consulted with solutions that we didn't ask for. I just, I just, <laughs> just amazed by it. And, um, and so that was the biggest thing coming across the military. I thought like, these are two big public sector organizations with phenomenal talent bases, rich yeah. in skills. We, we spend so much time and effort investing in our staff, but we seem to fix problems very differently. And I thought there's so much learning that can be brought across no, this. So uh, much, so much potential. Yeah. Amazing. That is amazing. It's, it's incredible. And, you know, Hexitime, you know, it's not just time exchange. It unlocks yeah. potential. It increases capacity. It's just so much more. Mm. Uh, I'm conscious of time and I know you need to rush off. Um, it's been a massive pleasure hearing your story of finding kind of the intricacies of Hexitime. I really do hope it really does succeed. And, you know, half a million people do yeah. come off yeah. the back of this podcast. <laughs> uh, it'd be good for us both. Uh, before we kind of bring it to a wrap, any advice for people out there that may have transitioned from one public sector to another or kind of working on a problem? Um, just some inspiring, encouraging words for those individuals. So, so, so I, I, learned, I learned so much from Hisham, my co-founder. And I think it was, I, I, I tempered my frustration and angst around stuff that doesn't work and started channeling that energy into fixing things where I could share mm. sharing problems being a lot more open and collaborative and ultimately focusing on on the good in the system rather than rather than the uh, the problems which I know can be a bit counterintuitive some entrepreneurial advice is be passionate about the problem but actually at Hexi time we've been far more passionate about the opportunity and, mm-hmm. and far more passionate about the people um, yeah. and, and, and it served us really really well and opened up all sorts of doors for us and inherently believing that people people want to do good work and yeah. uh, and the NHS is full of phenomenal resource uh, so so if you were coming from a different sector into the NHS I'd say don't try and remodel the NHS to be like you, the experience you came from hmm. um, but bring that experience and try to contribute it to focus on the the assets and the opportunities to make the NHS better for everybody. No, definitely. Amazing. I think it's amazing. Um, a massive thank you to you, John. Uh, a massive thank you to our listeners. Um, and we'll see you all next week. Thank you. Thank you very much.